electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Why one strategist's contrarian call could be the key to the markets and your money. The details and the debate begin right now with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Steve Weiss, Amy Raskins here, the Chief Investment Officer of Chevy Chase Trust. Degas Wright is the Chief Investment Officer of Decatur Capital Management. Pete Nigerian along with us today as well. Take you to the wall, show you what stocks and rates are doing. As Carl said, okay, the Dow's down 107. It's off the lows for a change. It's a reversal because the NASDAQ is the one that's getting a lift today up by 100 points. Why? Because all the way on the right-hand side of your screen, bonds are up. Yield slipping just a smidge, 171 is the 10-year. So, Pete, we're focused today on this call by Tony Dwyer of Canaccord, okay? Most of the banks are down because Tony Dwyer has downgraded the financials and says, quote, the two most contrarian calls in today's market would be to expect the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield to peak near current levels and to expect a correction in the financials driven by the banks. Now... You bought the XLF today, okay? Does that yeah. mean you disagree? Yeah. Do you disagree with Tony Dwyer? Well, I th- you know what, Scott? This is a great example of, um, I think Tony's been unbelievably spot on. He's, he's talked about banks and tanks. He goes all the way back to late last spring, early summer, and, and he's been right. And a lot of people were fighting against him on that. I think what we're seeing now, though, is the acceleration that we'd seen out of the banks that started really in November um, you, you, you can't sustain that forever. So I actually do expect some pauses, some pullbacks. And one of the reasons that the XLF was intriguing to me, Scott, they weren't just going into April or March or something with the very, very short-term options. They were buying a little bit of time because of the fact that they probably expecting a little bit of volatility, some bumps in the road, maybe the pause that we're seeing right now potentially out of the financials would be, it would be a reason why they wanted to buy a little bit more time. They were going out to May. They were going out to September. They bought 100,000 of the May 37 calls yesterday. As a matter of fact, they have bought 25,000 of the September 40 calls. So there is some uh, understanding, at least my opinion of how I, I dissected it is, they're looking out in time and they think that the XLF still has some room to the, the upside, but it might be in a bit of a pause. And in that case, they've got time and they're, they've got low volatility, low implied volatility while they wait. So those are good things. And so I'm right along with them. I continue to have a very, very large positioning in the financials. I'm not getting out of them. I don't disagree with Tony, but I think it's more of a pause rather than a a pretty sharp pullback. We'll see how this all plays out. But for right now, I'm holding on to all my financial positions. Seems to be influencing the way Steve Weiss things are trading today. I want you to listen to what Jim Cramer said this morning about Tony's call and why it's so important to everybody's money. That was a bold call. I endorse it. Those stocks have moved way up too fast, but that money has to come out of there first before we see tech bottom. I salute him, by the way. I mean, I'm watching all these stocks. Okay, Weiss, I mean, you take this in two different directions. Number one, do you agree with Tony's call? 
And Kramer makes an interesting point, right? A lot of money's gone to the banks. You need money to start coming out of some of these cyclical areas like the banks and, and elsewhere. And it starts to going back into tech for tech to have bottomed. Do you agree or disagree? Well, it, I, I, I disagree. I, you know, I think that, that financials can pause. But what happened with the SLR today in terms of not extending it, I think it's an indication that the Fed's also ready to remove some of the constraints that they have on the banks and their ability to pay dividends and buy back shares, as well as the loan loss reserves they've taken over the last year or so that will come back into earnings. So, yeah, there may be a pause, but like everything else, they're going to trade in lockstep with what we're seeing in rates right now for a bunch of different reasons. So you can take the name off of any chart and put it out there and it will look no different than the banks, than the sickles, than the tech stocks. No, but with it, the exception maybe a sell-off But, but here Steve, and there. The, the point is, if 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 yeah. rates are topping out, as Tony suggests, right, the banks are going to stop working. It's that simple, right? Yeah, no, the money's going to come I'm, out I'm of there. I'm not arguing. I'm saying there. Right, I, I'm saying there will be a pause, but rates will go up again. So rather than paying taxes on these massive gains that people have had in financials, just be patient. There are other areas of your portfolio where I think you take profits because those stocks are ahead of themselves and won't recover. Does anybody doubt that rates are going to go to 2% and over time possibly 3%? No, but I mean, they don't have to go if to 2%. They don't have to go to 2%. You doubt the economy. They don't have to go to 2% next week. I mean, they may get to 2% by the end of the year, but there's a long road between now and the end of the year, Amy, right? I mean, let, let's be clear about what we're talking about here. So if the banks do, if rates pause and then the banks pause, and then you've got a real window of, you know, I don't know, eight, nine months for these tech stocks to start working again because everybody's all scared about where, where rates are going. Look at what banks have done in the, in, over the last three months, okay? It tells us the whole story of the market. Bank of America is up 33%, Citi 23, Goldman 41, JP Morgan 28, Morgan Stanley 29, Wells Fargo 37. Why? Because rates have gone up, as Steve said, in, in lockstep. I wish I wish you were going to be right, and I wish Tony was right, but I don't think that's the case. I think rates are going to continue to go up. Um, I, I didn't realize until reading his note this morning that it was been the fastest 10-week rate of change in history. Um, so they're certainly going up faster even than I expected, but I don't think we're going to get an eight-month pause here or even – I think we're going to be above two um, probably in the second quarter. I think we're going to continue this march higher um, because the fundamentals warrant it. I mean, we have incredible fiscal stimulus. We still have an easy Fed. We heard um, from Powell on Wednesday. We have vac vaccination rates that are increasing. The growth is going to be strong. That's going to drive a steepening of the yield curve. I think that's still going to help the financials. Um, at some point, it will reverse and it will stop. But um, and I don't think we're there yet. I mean, you have J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs, so you're right in the game here. Right. Right. We're right in the game where we we've been underweight financials for a really long time. At the end of last year, we saw this coming and we went market weight. I still think long term, there's too much capacity in financials. Um, I think some of the new entrants are going to uh, be competitive. Um, on the margin, this, um, what the Fed announced today with the SLR is a negative for them. So I, I don't, you know, I'm not making a huge bet of the portfolio from a long-term um, stance on financials, but I do think we are in a steepening cycle, um, largely driven by stimulus. 
and um, you know we're going to have really strong growth. And there's you know one seven just doesn't make sense as the in my opinion as the place for the ten year to stop. I mean, Degas, you've got according to Bank of America and their fund flows, which we like to follow uh, all the time on this program, record inflows into global financial stocks over the past four weeks. Right? I mean, the money continues to go there regardless of calls like Dwyer and whether you think rates are topping out, follow the money, the old adage. The money continues to go into the financials and into the cyclicals. Yeah, Scott, you know what? And I'm going to go off of what Amy just was talking about. The money center banks are, are doing well in this short period, as you said, the last four weeks. What we're really seeing is that Will the money center banks be disrupted? And we're seeing that happen with PayPal, with Square, and also with the card, like MasterCard, for instance, Visa. We talked about that uh, last time I was on. These are the, this is the direction that money is really flowing, and the tide is really becoming more disruptive against these money center banks. This may be a short trade, but we think the longer-term play and investment would be into Companies like a PayPal, companies like Square, MasterCard, these are the companies that we think the tide is really turning towards as we look at disrupting the money center banks. All right. Tony Dwyer, by the way, is going to be on Fast Money tonight at 5, um, which I'm filling in for Melissa for. So I'm going to talk to Tony at 5 o'clock tonight. Uh, so I look forward to that, really drilling down on, on what his call is. Um, but Weiss, I mean, the, the bottom line then is you can't buy tech stocks. Because if you think that you can't buy many tech stocks, if you think that interest rates are going to continue to go up, those stocks are going to continue to be hurt. I, I, I mean, it's like binary at this point. Rates up, tech down. Is it just that simple? I think it has been that simple. I don't think it'll be that simple going forward. The market is going to eventually distinguish between the Zooms and the Teladocs and the uber-valued stocks that will never grow into their earnings or their DCF valuations with ones that have had consistent high earnings growth, more than double what the markets had historically and going forward. And that's where the true value is in the market. It's not in the sickles. It's not in the financials you mentioned, although I still see value there because I, I ascribe to, to what Amy's view is that rates are going to continue Where's to rise. the value there? So what, what yeah, value do I you think see you there? can buy stock. What, what value do you see there? I see the semis. No, 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 I see in, the, the in the banks. I see stocks. In the banks. Where, where's oh, the, in the value banks? still? Yeah, okay. where is it? Well, you've got, a, you've got a steepening yield curve. You're going to have earnings continue to go up. It doesn't matter. It matters somewhat if rates are, if the 10 years at 2%, but if it's a flat yield curve at 2%, then it doesn't matter for the banks. But the curve has been steepening, and that's where they make their money, in the margin. Steve, these, stocks are the are up, these stocks are up. And that's going to continue. These stocks are up a ton, right? I mean, Goldman Sachs is up 76% in six months. At some point, the banks have they moved. They were down a ton. Yeah, I, they were down a ton, but they anticipated a higher move in rates. They've continued to anticipate that. I mean, how much is already in those stocks, Pete? Right? That's what you got to ask yourself. How, how much is already in? When I tell you those right. gains, 51% for Bank of America and J.P. Morgan's 55 yeah. and Morgan Stanley 65 well, let's go back to, Scott, look at how long it was that people said, oh, you don't want to be in the banks, they do nothing, right? I mean, we heard that story for years. So, yeah, they just did not perform. They, they lagged for a really long period of time. 
and now they've had their shining moment, right? I mean, we've been watching, and you said in this very short period of time, many of these names are up anywhere from 30 to 50 to 60 percent or more. It's it's pretty extraordinary. But I think they're finally getting to the point where they're the, they're actually approaching what I would consider to be a little bit closer to what I think is closer to fair, fair value. By the way, as we're going, Tony just hit me up and he said, "Hey, look." I, I, I'll tell you something, and you need to let these guys know. I did not call for a big drawdown. I'm just saying it's a pause, and so I'm just I'm just reiterating what no, Tony just said to me. Not. So, but he he's also trying to right. make a contrarian call here. Uh, that yeah, you yeah. know, if the 10-year has peaked in the near term, mm-hmm. you know, maybe those stocks are going to stop going up, which is why he did a relative downgrade. I never said he you know right, he's calling right. for a big downdraft. I read specifically from no, his I know, note. I know you, <laughs> now no, I have to get I, into I know, it with Dwyer exactly at 5 o'clock. Tell Dwyer to, <laughs> we're going to get it on at 5 o'clock. I just wanted to clarify, I just wanted to clarify that, that he wasn't calling for a huge pullback after this huge move to the upside, right? So, so it is a pause. But, you know, I think when you look at a lot of these names, forever they looked so undervalued. I think they're getting close to what we would all probably consider to be at least closer to a fair value, and, and, and that's important. And we talk about that all the time. We talk about, you know, the different ratios of what they're doing and lending and all the rest of that. And I think the banks are really well positioned, Scott. So I think because of that, I think they do have more room to the upside, but I would expect it to pause just like we'd seen out of technology. I'm going back for a second. You were just talking about technology. I think the quality technology names are the ones that took that big run to the upside, then they paused. I'm talking about Apple. I'm talking about Facebook. I'm talking about Netflix and whatever names that you want to put out there past Fang even. Um, I think a lot of those names are quality names. And when you look at what they are and what they do and the growth perspective, look at Facebook today, for instance. Look at that run that it's on today. This is a stock that has actually been steadily moving up from the mid-200s. And now here we are pushing towards the all-time highs, which was a little bit over 300. So I do think that there's room for those names, Scott. And I don't think it has to rotate from the b- banks just to get into some of these technology no. names. But to Steve's point also... Oh, go ahead. I, I, I agree with you, right? Let's be clear, Pete. I tried to, to, to say this yeah. yesterday. Let's make a line here. We're not talking about the fangs, right? We're, we're talking about the 40 and 50 and 60 and 100 times earnings stocks, right? The right. high-flying okay. tech yeah. ones with yeah. the massive valuations that ran way right. up. And now the move up in rates yeah. is causing a reset and an an adjustment of those stocks. I put the FANG yeah. stocks in their own sort of category. Okay. All right. Well, I will tell you this, though. When we talk about those no PE or extreme PEs of tri- triple, quadruple digits, whatever, yeah, I think you're right. I think, though, Scott, I think those were pandemic-type names, not necessarily because of the fact that people were running and a lot of new investors coming in and everybody trying to go after all these various high-flying-type names, right, and everybody was trying to capitalize on that. I think the problem going forward with many of those types of names, especially the ones that, that were directly related to what was going on with the pandemic and the shutdown, I think as we open up, and you and I have talked about this a million times, but the hybrid society that we're going to be in. Did you see the, the latest thing even on a Target where they're giving up a million square foot yeah, in downtown of, Minneapolis. of their, 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 their office? downtown Minneapolis. That's because of the fact that these companies are moving with what's going on in the world. And I think that's the hybrid. That's what we're talking about, how things are going to change. And I think those are a lot of names that have those incredible PEs that probably got swept up for all the wrong reasons because of the pandemic, because we knew at some point in time, things are going to get better. 
We still think that, right? I mean, things are going to get better. Yep. As they get better, a lot of those names that are out there are, are going to feel the reality of at some point in time, you've got to find out what you really are and can you make money? Because a lot of these companies cannot make money. They haven't made money. And in some cases, I don't know if they'll ever make money. Let me ask you this, Amy. What, let, let's move it from financials because we could substitute, you know, some of these other groups of cyclical stocks. I'm curious as to what my viewers are supposed to do with the Caterpillars, the Deers, the Boeings, which are up 59, 69, and 58 percent respectively over the last six months. Now, I know the stocks were down a lot, but they've moved up in anticipation of this great new world that Pete says we're going to be living in, and people are going to go nuts in the second half of this year, I think, once you get broad vaccination and, and so forth. The cruise lines, for example, names like Carnival are up 82%. Norwegian cruise lines up 70%. The hotel stocks have run a lot. What do you do, Amy, if you're in some of these names? Well, I, I think a lot of those names have gone too far too fast. Um, so we are not in a lot of those, quote, quote, reopening plays. Um, you have to remember the stock market is a discounting mechanism. It it projects the future. It doesn't. The future doesn't. The economy doesn't project the stock market. The stock market itself is a leading indicator. So those moves, I think, reflect what will happen um, in the economy. And then the question becomes, what's the second derivative change of that? Um, and I think that's where the rubber's going to hit the road, and we're going to have some problems because we're going to be comping a lot of stimulus and just extraordinary growth. So we are not in a lot of those quote, quote, reopening plays. But just to comment on something that Pete was talking about, the high flyers, the really you know very expensive PEs and stocks trading at multiples of sales, multiples of um, you know, 100 times earnings and things like that. I think those were all related to just the discount rate and interest rates falling. Those are all stocks that have a lot of growth and when you discount that growth back at zero, you can get infinite um, valuation. So I think it's a little bit different than the pandemic, you know, uh, than the pandemic stay at home plays. A lot of those weren't necessarily stay at home plays. They were just stocks that people were projecting very strong growth out for a long time and just, you know, getting the benefit of lower rates when they discounted that back. Degas, what about those names that I just mentioned? You know, pick your cruise line, pick your hotel, pick your industrial. What should viewers do with those now? Yeah, so what, what we would say to our viewers is that let's look at the underlying company. Let's, uh, first, let's talk about Southwest Airline. Southwest, majority of their passengers are domestic, uh, approximately 80 percent. 20 percent are international. We expect domestic to recover first, so Southwest will do well. Also, what they were able to do with their liquidity is that they had about $11 billion in their cash. So they were able to cover their current debt, which is $200 million. So they're liquid. Lastly, they're able to now continue to do well in this market because they reduced their costs by $600 million, and they expect that to continue in the future. So Southwest is well positioned. Another company that you mentioned, Hilton, a hotel company. We really like the fact that they have a capital light model, business model. They basically have about 70% of their assets are in the third party man management or franchise. 
they only own about 20 to 30 percent of their properties. So, they're, so they're, basic, they're building a fee base system that's going to give them smooth out the roughness of, of the cyclical part of hotel. So these are companies that are doing things very well underlying the opportunity that we're going to see in 20 and 21. So we're looking at those companies and we're going a little bit deeper than just looking at the surface. We're saying, how can this company continue to do well and how did they manage through the 2020? So we will say to our viewers, look at the underlying company and understand the business model and what makes that company different from the rest of the industry. Well, let's be clear. I mean, you're, you're thinking a lot about the, the reopen and the reflating of the economy, if you will, because you're all over oil and materials, especially materials. Vulcan materials is a new buy for you. Nucor is a new buy for you. EOG is a new buy for you. Am I going in the right direction here? You are going in the right direction. And that's what we're seeing. Um, and the reason why, and all these companies are unique, and we're going to really talk about why they add value here. EOG Resources is an energy company. They obviously do all uh, natural gas. What we like about EOG is that they have a very, uh, a lot of growth opportunities. Um, what they did with their senior management, they tied their senior management bonuses to reducing their emissions. How many energy companies do you know that are do that's doing that with their management team? tying it to the transition plan, because we took a deep dive into their corporate social responsibility report and found that that's the type of energy company we want to hold, because we understand that there's going to be a transition period, so we will still need fossil fuel and natural gas. A company like EOG Resources is doing the right thing and tying their incentives to reducing their emission footprint. Vulcan Materials is another example of a aggregate company that produces the gravel for uh, cement and road construction. You know, we talked to some, uh, I have a good friend that's in the uh, construction industry, and what he shared with me about Vulcan is that they're able to uh, really manage the price exposure because this industry is very fragmented. And what we see is that with infrastructure, you're gonna need that aggregate material to build roads and to do these uh, the projects. Mm -hmm. Lastly, Nucor is a energy is a um, company as a steel company. Now, what makes this unique is that they're using a process that use scrap steel to generate their product. The other companies use raw iron to uh, produce their steel product, and the using of scraps steel actually. Uh, produces emissions one-fourth the basic oxygen furnace mm -hmm, method. Mm -hmm. So Nucor is a company that's doing the right thing as it relates to the environment, and that's why we said this is a buy. So we're getting ready for the infrastructure push because we're seeing that that's going to be the next thing the administration is really going to focus on, and that could be somewhere in the, in the ballpark of $2 trillion into infrastructure. The uh, American Society of Civil Engineers indicated that the gap, the infrastructure gap, is about $2.6 trillion. So if the Biden administration can move forward on infrastructure, that's going to do a lot to close this gap. Okay. Um, by the way, now Dwyer, Pete's being all nice to me on email. Right? You're the best. You rock. <laughs> Whatever, Tony. Five o'clock. 
It's on. It's on big time. It's on. All right. Steve Weiss, let's talk about FedEx, okay? Uh, FedEx earnings, mm-hmm. right? Stock's just been a, been a, a monster. Uh, you own it. And you own a couple of the others, too, UPS, yep. XPO, et cetera. What now for viewers who own it? Well, it's going to keep going. Look, FedEx has restructured their company. Uh, they're raising prices. The digitization of the economy is just growing. It's not shrinking. And the stocks are cheaper than they've been historically. So why wouldn't you own it? Uh, UPS, same story. XPL Logistics, breaking the company in two. They'll have an extremely valuable logistics company. And then they'll have the freight company. So I think it's a great place to be. Again, very cheap stocks. I'd much rather own those than own energy, which is more than doubled, more than what the banks have done. And I'd much rather own those than cat or deer, which I would sell. Those multiples are historically much too high. So that's where I'm putting my money in terms of the reopening. Okay. Because the airlines, they're going to trade momentum. As more and more people fly, as the TSA numbers continue to go up, and I know their balance sheets aren't what they were, they're not even a shadow of what they were, but they're going to trade the momentum of the fundamentals as the market has done, as the market will continue to do. So that's where I want to be, and they're not anywhere near where they were pre-pandemic, and they will get back to near those levels. All right, let's, let's talk, Amy, about Nike, okay? I, I'm pretty sure a lot of people own Nike uh, who, yeah. who are watching, okay? Stocks down on these supply chain issues. What do you do now with Nike? J.P. Morgan's Matt Boss, by the way, he is the number one rated retail analyst on Wall Street. He raises his price target to 176 from 170. He reiterates his overweight call on the stock. Nike fixes this. All good. Stocks expensive. What? Stock's expensive, but it's it's all good. I, I would encourage everyone to listen to that call. It was a wonderful call. Um, they're doing everything right in terms of innovation, their digital strategy. The, I think what's underappreciated about Nike is just how much margin they can capture if they can, can, can continue to increase their direct sales, which is what they're doing, and take out that middleman. Um, they just really, I mean, 42% growth in China with a $2 billion business, just really firing on all cylinders. I think the Tokyo Olympics will be a benefit for them. Sports are coming back. Their innovation engine is as strong as ever. Their supply chain, um, they had problems at the ports, but so did everyone else. And their back office using ultra-high-frequency RFID is better than anybody else's. So we just think there's a lot of opportunity for Nike. It looks expensive, but they're going to continue to surprise on the upside with margin. So it's not as expensive as it seems. Okay. So, Pete, you know, Lulu is more expensive than Nike. You're you're an athletic guy, right? Used to be. You could probably still, you know. Barely, Scott. Get in the gym a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why do you like Lulu? Why Why do you like Lulu over Nike? Yep. Lulu's more expensive, okay. and we've just said that Nike in its own right is expensive. Yeah, Nike's very expensive for Nike, and Lulu, with, with what we've got in, in terms of, you know, history, um, actually, it's been coming down, down, down. And, and the reality is, when you look at where they trade as a PE, it's just barely above where Nike's trading. And what, what, what I think is interesting is, when you look at what Lulu's got, they've got better margins, number one, and, and, and they've got unbelievable DTC. So when you look at the two companies, 
They, they don't have to, you know, we don't have to sit there and go, well, this one's great and this one's not. But I think that when you look at the numbers themselves, they speak for why Lulu has potential to go a much higher rate, I think, than Nike. I look at Nike as one of those stocks Steve was talking about. Some of the names have just run, run, run to the upside, probably for the right reasons. Nike's case, they've done a great job. But when you look at margins, Nike's margins versus the margins that you're looking at, when you look at a Lulu, for instance, it is a significant difference. And when you look at some of the other growth categories, that is a significant difference. So for that reason, I've been in Lulu for a really long time, multiple years. Um, I like Nike, but I just think at this point in time, yeah. it's gotten very overvalued, and I think that's why it's pulling back. Yeah, I mean, speaking of pulling back, Lulu had a huge run, and it's been pulling back. I mean, it's a, it's a loser over the last few sure. months by nearly 18%. All right, we'll take a quick break. Coming up, a bullish call on Ford. Those shares are up 40% this year. We'll debate that straight ahead. You can always watch or listen to us live on the go as well on the CNBC app we're back into. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is your CNBC News update at this hour. A federal grand jury has charged four members of the far-right Proud Boys with conspiring to impede Congress during the Capitol Hill riot on January 6th. All four are leaders of state chapters of the Proud Boys. President Biden has picked a former astronaut and senator to lead NASA. Bill Nelson represented Florida in the Senate and also flew on the space shuttle just days before the Challenger launch accident. Surgeons have performed a double lung transplant on a COVID-19 patient using lungs from a patient who once had the disease. Doctors at Chicago's Northwestern Medicine say that they tested the donor lungs to make sure that they were virus-free. And for the fourth year in a row, Finland is the happiest country in the world. That's according to the UN's World Happiness Report. Now, despite the pandemic, the U.S. actually jumped four spots to number 14 and also moved ahead of both Canada and the U.K. So, Scott, apparently we're happier this year than we were last year. And hopefully we'll be even happier in the months to come. Rahel, thank you. Rahel Solomon. All right, Barclays today upgrading Ford to overweight from equal weight. Street high target, 16 bucks. It's our call of the day on Ford. Pete, you own Ford. Yeah, I do. I do. I own some calls in there, Scott, and I've owned those for a little while. We've had a lot of option, option paper in here. I love this name. I was in GM, but it had, it's made such an unbelievable run to the upside that I trimmed. I think Steve might still own that one, but it, I, I, love, I love both these two names. I think they've done the right thing. I think in this case, 
Ford's partnership that was established not just recently, but in the last few years for sure with Volkswagen, I think that is really going to be something that's going to be a huge boost for Ford in the EV, EV market, in the AI market, all of that. I think the combination of those two working together will really be something that, that could drive this stock a lot higher than it is right now. Even though it's had great performance, I think there's a lot more room to the upside. Okay, now brings me to Steve Weiss. Who couldn't wait to come on today and talk about his new buy? He's so excited about it. He reminded the producers to tell me during the break. So, Steve, tell America, what is your new buy? Well, first of all, my excitement dissipated when you beat me up on the financials. But let's put that behind us. Look, my new buy is Porsche. So Pete referenced Ford. I sold Ford. I sold a little early. I think they have governance issues. Just put two more family members on the board. So if you want to own a family company, it's been mismanaged 50 years, then have at it. In terms of Porsche, though, they are the leader in EV. Forget about your Lordstown and all those others. This is the place to be. They have more EV models than any other company out there. They're investing more in the infrastructure, including battery plants, including charging stations, charging networks, and... I'll tell you this, Porsche is the way to play it because they own 31% of Volkswagen. They have a couple other assets in there, but this company is selling at a discount to the other European automakers. It's selling at a discount to the U.S. automakers, yet the fundamental is much better. And you've got this asset in VW, which is called Porsche. And if they ever spun out Porsche, the company said they wouldn't, think of this. That would be worth more than the entire company. You've got Ferrari that's trading at 45 times earnings, where sales were down 10% year over year. Porsche, which is about 10% of VW revenues, their revenues were up 14%, Porsche alone, year over year. So what's that worth? It's not worth the seven times earnings that market is assigning to it. So I think this stock will do incredibly well over the next year, five years, and 10 years. Particularly, they've got a leading market position in China. So everything stacks up here. It's new management. The diesel scandals behind it. The other liabilities will be behind it. It's just clear sailing. Great balance sheet for an auto company. I just love this one. It's one of my top positions now, actually. Well, I mean, the stock is actually absolutely getting a rip as, as you're talking about it. It's up 11%. It is worth noting, I think I'm correct. I think I heard, didn't the CEO say that the 911 is not going to go EV, right? Isn't, isn't that, I think that's noteworthy out of this announcement, right? I mean, let's not, that, I mean, it's a 9-11, Steve, right? <laughs> well, they have others that, that I, have I gone know. electric. I know, but it's uh, a 9-11. Tarkan, you can't, you can't buy, which is, I, I know, and I had a 9-11, and okay, hey, you know what? Go. Electric cars happen to be faster. Here we go. I had a 9-11. Yeah, what can I tell you? <laughs> Look oh, my you, goodness. You can't, hey, oh. come on. You got to play, buddy. You can't be all about work. <laughs> I, you know? Apparently so. I mean, now, channel if Pete checks. could fit into a 911 Ch- channel that checks. Yeah. All right. Stock's ripping like 12%. <laughs> Thank you, Steve Weiss, for the trade and the fact that you had a 911. All right. Up next, Pete has his latest trades in unusual activity. Plus, March is Women's History Month. We are spotlighting some of our CNBC contributors. Here's Boston private uh, chief investment officer Shannon Sakosha on breaking barriers. We need to see more women in the seats that are meaningful in the corporate world. CFOs, CTOs, CEOs. And we need to no longer accept 
that as we break through a particular barrier, that we should be happy to be there, just happy to have a seat at the table. We need to keep our foot on the gas so that female leaders that come behind us can start from day one in making an impact. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. We're back. Pete Najarian, unusual activity. What do you got for me? Here's what you got, Scott. So we, we talk about this, and we didn't talk as much on the A, A block of TV, but we, we see energy, we see materials, and they've been absolutely exploding the upside. I've got one of each right now for this. So Par Pacific, it's a name that I had not seen before, Scott, and it's a refining company. It does a little bit of this and then a little bit of that, but I like what we're seeing in there because we had a really large buyer. Stock was trading around $15, and we had a buyer of 13000 of the June 17.5 calls. So they're out in time a little bit going out to June and up in terms of where the stock they're they're expecting to see this stock go. Traded for about $1.20. They hedged those off against the June 20 selling those. But these June 17 and a half, that's a very large trade there. So I really that one stuck out for me. Secondly, I've got a chemical stock, so materials area. Huntsman. Now, we haven't talked about Huntsman in a really long time, I don't think, on the show, but the April 29 call, seeing a lot of activity there, about 3,000 of those were bought, Scott, for about 55 cents. They were also selling downside, so basically financing themselves, and if they actually got the stock actually moved to the downside, they'd be put the stock, and then they'd be owning the stock, so that's telling you just how bullish they are right now on this name going to the upside. I'm in both of these two names. I've got these out to April and Huntsman. I'm also in the other name where I'm all the way out to June. All right. Thank you, Pete. Good stuff there. Ask Halftime is coming up next. Please send in your questions by video, too, and we'll play it on the air. Email us, askhalftime at cnbc.com. We are back right after this. All right, time to answer your questions. First up, Steve Weiss from John asked the desk what they think of Petco's report and the future. All right, I'm asking you. Well, look, I own a couple of dogs, no Porsches, but a dog, and you spend a lot of money on them. And with the pandemic, you can't even adopt a dog because so many people have. So I think that's a great thing. However, this is a retailer, and it's taken them a long time to grow into the valuation they have. So Lamento will be there, but I'm not a buyer of this. There are other retailers that I'd much rather own. Okay. Pete, uh, for you, it's a video question. Halftime at Sal from Sable, New York. I'm looking to position myself for the future of legalized gambling and also a reopening play on the casinos. I currently own DraftKings, MGM, and Fox, which has the Fox Bet platform. And I'm looking to get a little more exposure uh, with Roundhill Gaming, BETZ. I'm wondering if you guys uh, recommend having that ETF as part of my portfolio moving forward. Best 60 minutes on TV. Well, I appreciate that, Sal. And the question, of course, Pete, what's the answer for, for Sal? Yeah, thank, thanks a lot, Sal. Really appreciate that. That whole everything was great. I would say this. I'm not a huge ETF fan, and my reasoning is I like better beta. I want something to move at a much different pace than what you're generally going to get out of most ETFs. So because of that, I would just increase my exposure in one other casino-type play. Maybe it's Penn Gaming. Maybe it's Win. whatever. But that's the way I would approach it rather than going the ETF route. Okay, good stuff again. Thank you very much for the question. All right, Degas, to you. Giuseppe in Italy. 
Ciao, guys. Love the show. Watch it every day. As travel exposure, uh, how do you see Airbnb, which I own, versus more classic hotel chains like Marriott for the long term? You talked about a hotel chain you owned earlier, but what about Airbnb, Degas? Yes, yeah, so Airbnb is a disruptor. Uh, it went public in 2020, and what we're seeing is a new company. It has nothing to gain from the status quo of the hotel industry. Whereas Marriott, was the one she referred to, is a company and an industry that may be being disrupted. So I would say if you're looking at these two, it's a young company, go with Airbnb. Airbnb. Okay, that's the call there. All right, Amy, lastly to you, uh, Joan in Chicago, any advice on Fiverr? You own it. Sure. Um, Fiverr's been the gift that just keeps giving. It's been an incredible stock. Even though it's pulled back 30% from its highs, it's still up 14, 15% year to date and up over 800% last year in the last 52 weeks. So um, it's been a great stock. I, the freelance market is still very fragmented. Fiverr has the opportunity to be the winner here and consolidate it. It's a $7.7 billion market cap company. So in terms of the opportunity, um, we think it could grow, but there's no way to justify the valuation right now. And it could get caught up in just this macro rate move um, being you know, one of the stocks that I talked about earlier that just benefited from lower discount rates and is going to run into some valuation headwinds as, as rates go up. So I take a small position if you don't have any um, and potentially wait for better entry points. Okay. Thank you for that. All right, Pete, let's run it back. Okay. I want to talk about some of these moves you've made. You made a bunch today that we didn't get to yet. You bought calls in. Sure. I'll just, I'll go one by one. All right. Just, so just give me something brief on these here. Emerging markets, EEM sure. calls. Why? Yeah, I just I think that we're seeing a lot more going on around the rest of the world as we're coming out of this pandemic. And I think that would be a smart play. You get a huge exposure to China this way. You can't lay off Intel, can you, Pete? You're still out there hoping, right, on the underdog. You're still betting on the Jaguars. Hey, they're going to get there. One of these days. <laughs> They're going to get that quarterback, right? <laughs> well, I, I'll tell you this about Intel. I think what, Intel, um, I still have all the reservations about certain aspects of, of Intel, but we had some huge call buying in there, and Steve was talking about the semiconductors being a potential opportunity. I also have Taiwan Semiconductor. I added that as well. So both of those two names I just think can sweep up, especially Intel, can get swept up a little bit with the semis when they start to have a little bit more of a rebound. Why would you buy calls in, uh, in Uber, new ones? Yeah. And I, by the way, this is a great example from the other day you were saying, hey, Pete, what are you talking about? You, you, you don't like these big high multiple, no multiple stocks. This is a great example of that. But I will trade them, Scott. And we had some huge buying in there. So um, I just decided that it made sense to, to play the option side of this thing because those things can work on some momentum up and down. And I think maybe it's an opportunity for the upside. I tell you what, if it breaks through the strike, I will absolutely be out of that very, very rapidly. What about CCJ, Camco? Yeah, I got out of this name, not for any bad reasons. This is, I love, I love what they're doing. Um, uranium is a play that not a lot of people talk about. It's had a nice move to the upside. I was out of it, and I was out of it for all of about 24 hours. I bought back in the second I started to see a lot more positive activity, bullish activity coming into that stock all as right. well. Aflac, Pitney Bowes, the others, international game technology. We ripped through them, Pete. Good stuff. We'll take a quick break. We have more trades yep. coming up. The man. And as we go to break, take a look at some of the top S&P gainers for the week, including Hartford Financial, Discovery, Lennar, and Facebook. It is time now for the Futures Outlook Week Ahead. Jeff Kilberg keeping a close eye on equity futures. Listen.
Well, Judge, certainly it's a lot to unpack for next week, as it is the last full week of trading in the quarter. But let's look what happened this week. Look at the S&P 500 futures as well as the Dow Jones futures. They put in a record high on Monday, then we saw rates move higher. Yesterday, we did see the 10-year note touch 1.75%, and that really presented a bit of a problem. And I know we're obsessing about the NASDAQ 100 futures, but let's take a big, deep breath. Last month, we certainly have seen the NASDAQ 100 futures drag about 10% to the Dow Jones, but if we look back and rewind a full year, the NASDAQ 100 futures are up about 70%, while the Dow Jones is actually trailing by about 15%, as it's only up 55%. So I think as we go forward in the next week, certainly be mindful of a couple data points. We have existing home sales, new home sales, we have durable goods, and of course we're gonna be noticing GDP. GDP is a, certainly a, a data point that the Fed's looking at, so we'll be looking at it as well. But I'm positive, I'm remaining positive on the equity market, specifically in the futures markets, as we go into the end of the quarter. All right, thank you very much, Jeff. Final trades are next. All right, it's final trade time. Pete, I'm going to you first. By, by the way, Dwyer, he's ghosting me now. Totally ghosting me. <laughs> I apologize, man. That, that's on me. That's I'm right. going to give you rack space, uh, Scott. I like, the, I like the cloud services area right now. Okay, good stuff. Amy? Um, I can't wait to watch a five, but I like Illumina um, for this is the, the stock to own for the next decade. All right, Degas? Yeah, Afinal, uh, solid free cash flow. Okay. Steve Weiss, two things real quick. Tell me something on Vuzix, right? I've got some people asking me on Twitter about that. You still, you still own it? I still own a lot of it, um, more, than, more than I owned three weeks ago. Look, they, they keep announcing these partnerships. They've got one with Medtronic that are using their glasses. They announced one with Cooper yesterday, the, the contact lens firm. And their business is just growing 100% a year. Okay. That's what they did in the last quarter. It's right. going to keep going. It's the only solution out there for monster, AI glasses. Monster name. Uh, I mean, monster move. Give me a quick name real quick. I got a buzz. Jumia, they did an offering. The stock's going to lift after they price it. Okay. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.